Our text is found in the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. You may open your Bibles there to that place and we'll read our text for this series. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have here in this particular verse of scripture a glimpse of the threefold man, spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is the part that knows God. Jesus said God is a spirit. You can't know God or touch God or become acquainted with God physically. He's not a man. The Bible said he's not a man. You cannot know God, touch God, or communicate with God mentally. He's a spirit. But thank God you can reach him with your spirit. And your spirit can come to know God. And so the spirit is the part of man that knows God. The soul is the intellect or the sensibilities and will that knows the sensuous things. The physical body is the house in which we live. God says that this threefold man is to be preserved entire. That's what the word whole means, entire. Without blame at the coming of the Lord. Now that'll be a great day. Praise the Lord. Because when the Lord comes, then this whole man, spirit, soul, and body, praise the Lord, will be preserved entire without blame. Thank God we have a new spirit now because our spirits are born of God. And one of the, well, more than one of the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied that God said concerning Israel that I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. And this new covenant is the New Testament as we know it. And thank God for this New Testament and this New Covenant. And in this New Covenant and in this New Testament, he said, I'll take out of you that old stony heart and I'll put a new heart in you. Praise the Lord. And a new spirit in you. And then he says, and I'll put my spirit in you. Well, what he's prophesied about is the new birth. Praise God. Amen. When a man's born again, you see the spirit which is the real man, is born again. Praise the Lord. And the old man's gone. That old hard heart and stony heart and is gone. And he's a new creature, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature. Amen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so... Then after he makes us, you see, the word heart and spirit are used interchangeably. Your heart is your spirit. You notice here he didn't say a word in the world about I pray God your whole heart. 
He said your whole spirit, soul, and body. And, and when the Word of God uses the word heart and speaks of the heart of man, he's speaking of the spirit of man. We need to know that. Actually, as we've said to you before, we, we need to realize this, that uh, when God in his word is speaking of the heart of man, he is speaking of a man. We, we use the scripture that uh, is very illuminating on the subject, and that's 1 Peter 3, 4 where Peter said, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. See? Here he was talking, as we've already pointed out, that Peter said to the Christian wives, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the flesh. Well, of course, the flesh is the body. And he mentions about the outward adorning of the flesh, such as platinum hair, wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. He said, uh, uh, don't take all your time. You, you Christian wives, don't spend all the time on your hair and on your clothes because women are prone to do that. But he said, see to it, first of all, that the inward man are, here Peter calls him, the hidden man. The hidden man of the heart is adorned first with a quiet and a meek spirit, doesn't he? But what I want you to notice was this expression, hidden man, hidden man, or this way, man of the heart. I, I like that. Man of the heart. Now, what, what does he mean by that? Well, he's telling us then this, that when God speaks of the heart, he's speaking of a man. He's speaking of a man, isn't he? And that this man that he's speaking of is not the outward man or the man of flesh or the body, but it's the inward man. And so Paul calls him the inner man, and he also calls him the inward man. You remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, For though the outward man perish, or the margin says, is decaying. And, and I'd like for you to turn there with me, if you will, in your Bibles. Uh, here he said in the 16th verse of 2 Corinthians, the 4th the chapter, the 16th verse, for which cause we faint not. He, he said, uh, but though our outward man perish, or as the margin reads, is decaying. The outward man, the body, is decaying. It's growing older. Just like the house that you might live in on on, on uh, 504 North Chestnut Street. You know, that house is growing older. But you know what? You're not getting any older. Praise God. I said you're not. Amen. You're not. He said yet the inward man is perishing? No. Is decaying? No. Is growing older? No. Is renewed. Woo! I don't know whether I've helped you or not. I've already preached me happy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is renewed? Renewed. Renewed. Day by day. Oh, 
Oh, glory, 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 glory. I'll never be any older than them now. Praise the Lord. I, 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 I'll never be any older. Praise God. I, I'm not any older now than I was a few years ago. I know more than I did, but I'm not any older. Are you listening? Because you see, see this, this inward man is the real me. The inward man is renewed day by day. Now look at that 17th verse. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. What you're going through in this world sometimes in the natural standpoint, you know, seems to be tough, but it's just for a moment. It's just for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, the outward man seen, but the inward man is that hidden, hidden man, unseen man. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Too many people look at the wrong thing. That's the reason they're whipped and defeated in life. All they ever see is what's seen. I, I, I like something Wigglesworth said, Smith Wigglesworth said. I said it before I ever read he said it, but when I read he said it, it just sort of confirmed what I had. Help me, see. He said, I'm not moved. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. Praise the Lord. See, that's the only way in the world you can look at the unseen is by faith. See? And so he said, while we look not at things that are seen... Now, that's the reason Christians are defeated in life so many times. They keep looking at things that are seen. They keep walking uh, by the way they feel and how things seem to be. But he said, we look at, at those things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, he's not through yet. You see, man divided this letter Paul wrote into chapters and verses. Makes it easier for reference. But see, in this first verse of the fifth chapter, it goes right along with what he's saying in this fourth chapter. He says, for we know. He's talking still about these things that are not seen, still talking about this inward man. And he said, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, well, you know just as well as I know that your earthly house of this tabernacle is that outward man that he's talking about there in the 16th verse that is decaying. If this tabernacle, our earthly house of this tabernacle, if it were dissolved, if it dies and you, you put it in the grave and it's dissolved and it goes back to dust, that, that's not the end. We have. We have. A building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. That's this inward man that's eternal. That's this hidden man of the heart that's eternal. Praise God. Now then notice what he said in this 6th, 7th, and 8th verses of this 5th chapter of Second Corinthians because he's still talking about the same thing. He says, therefore, we are always confident. Yes, we can thank God for this confidence. Knowing 
not hoping, not guessing so, not maybe so, not maybe it's this way, but knowing that while we are at home in the body, we, you see, is this inward man. And we are at home in the body. That's this earthly house. While we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Yes, His Spirit's in our hearts to cry and Abba, Father. But He literally, with a physical, flesh and bone, resurrected body, is at the right hand of the Father up in heaven, isn't He? That's where He is. We're not, we're not there. His Spirit's in our hearts. His presence is within us. But we are at home in the body and we're absent from the Lord. Now, seventh verse, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The eighth verse, we are confident, I say, we are confident. I, I like that. See, you, you notice here, he said we're always confident. And then he uses that word confident again. We're confident, I say, and willing. Not only confident, but we're willing. Rather, he says, confident and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We, he said, are confident. We are willing rather to be absent from the body. We will be present with the Lord. Who's we? That's this inward man. That's the hidden man of the heart. Now it's hard for us. We live in the natural. We live in the physical. We live in the, this world. It's hard for us to recognize and to realize that the spirit world is more real than this natural material world is. We, we know people in this world after the flesh. We become acquainted with them and know them, mostly and to the greatest extent, after the flesh. And it's hard for us to realize that there's any other life. But what I'm trying to establish with you, and that's the reason I'm taking my time to do it now, is that I want to establish the fact with you that the inward man is your spirit and is a spirit man, let's put it that way, and is an eternal man. Hallelujah. Now then, I think we can, uh, we can go just a little bit further with some scriptures that will help us to see this. Paul said here, you're here in 2 Corinthians, turn right back to 1 Corinthians, if you will, just a moment. Turn right back to 1 Corinthians. And let's look at the 27th verse here. And notice something, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 chapter, excuse me, 9 chapter and 27th verse. Ninth chapter, 27th verse. Notice something else Paul said here. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now notice something. I keep under my body, or we'd say it the other way, I keep my body under. And I, I as a subject of the sentence, I bring it into subjection. 
Now what's he saying? I don't let my body rule me. Who's I? I is the man on the inside. If your body was you, then he would have said, I keep myself under. I bring myself into subjection. Wouldn't he? But he didn't say, I keep myself under. I bring myself under subjection. He says, I keep my body under. I keep under my body. And I bring it. He calls his body it. In to subjection. Now who's I? I is the real you. That's the man on the inside. That's the hidden man of the heart. That's the, the, the inward man. That's the real man. The eternal man. I keep my or under my body. I bring it. He calls his body it. Into subjection. Now, now into subjection to what? To the inward man. I don't let my body dominate me. I, I don't let my body rule me. I rule my body. This inward man rules the body he's saying. That's not true with most folks. Do you know it? Most folks, the body rules the inward man. That's what makes baby Christians. That's what makes carnal Christians. You see, remember Paul saying this to the Corinthians? This is in his first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. You could, you could turn back here to these first three chapters of this, of this letter that he wrote to the Corinthians and, and he's talking to them about the fact that they are baby Christians. In fact, he calls them baby, baby Christians. And then he says, ye are yet carnal. One translation of the scriptures, I notice instead of saying you're carnal, he says you are body ruled. That's what carnal Christians are. They're body ruled Christians. See, they're letting their bodies rule them. Amen. He said you walk as mere men. In other words, folks who never have, you're doing things and living just like people who have never even been born again, just, just mere men. Then, uh, then Paul said uh, something else here, writing to the Romans, that's uh, all, all really on the same subject, that's very interesting, and came as a real, well, enlightenment to me, and really it, when I first saw it, it, it amazed me. Here in the 12th chapter of Romans, before we go any further, I want us to look at this, these two verses, and then we'll proceed with our study. He said here, in Romans 12th chapter, the first and second verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now you remember this, that our text said, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. And so we, I thought we're, we're taking that for a text, spirit, soul, and body. So I haven't, as long as I'm talking about body or soul or spirit, I'm not, I haven't digressed from the subject, have I? And this verse of Scripture has something to do with the body here, doesn't it? See? Now, it will help us to see the difference between the inward man and the outward man again. When Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, he isn't writing to sinners. He isn't writing to the world. He's writing to the saints at Rome. 
He addresses this letter, in fact, in Romans, the first chapter, the seventh verse, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And it applies to all that be in Tulsa, beloved of God, called to be saints. Hallelujah. And so he said, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you do what? That ye, now we would say you, present your bodies. You do something with your body. And you know, if you don't ever do anything with it, won't anything ever be done with it? Oh, my, 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 my. I don't know whether you can see it or not, but in our church teachings, we, we, we've all, we, we've just cluttered up some of this teaching until it's, our minds are all fuzzy and muddy and it's difficult to get the real truth over to folks. Now, I want you to know, sir, he didn't say present yourselves to God. As a usual thing, our consecration and dedication services are, are usually all out of line. And we don't know what we're doing, so that's the reason they never really are effective as they ought to be. He did not say for you to present yourselves to God. Because, you see, if you're a child of God, you already belong to him. And you can't very well present to somebody what already belongs to him. I mean, you don't have any right to give to somebody what's already his. I mean, I mean, you, have, you, you, you wouldn't have any right uh, to take this pocket handkerchief out of Brother Hans' pocket here and give it to me. Because it belongs to him, don't belong to you. And see, you already belong to him, so you can't take what belongs to him and give it to him. It's already his. And you couldn't take my automobile and give it to Brother Copeland or give it to somebody else because, uh, because it's not yours to give. And I couldn't take my automobile and give it to myself because it's already mine. <laughs> See? All right. He never said a word. He never said a word, and you can't find a word where he said it anywhere in the New Testament. Any of them ever said that you dedicate yourselves or you give yourselves to God. I mean, in this sense that I'm talking about. But you find this, if you're born again, you are his. You are. You is that inward man. You know, you understand that now. That, that's who you are, that inward man. That has become a new man in Christ. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we referred to, said, Therefore, if any man, if any man, what man is this? Is that the outward man he's talking about? No, no, it couldn't be the outward man. Because he said, if any man. So it, it is a man he's talking about. It has to be the inward man. Because he said, if any man... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what about him? He is a new creature. He's a new creature. Oh, you see, you, you see, we missed it in religious circles so many times. People want folks to join the church and they want them to do better and they want them to, to, try, to try to live right. You know, I never have tried to live right. I just got born again to have been right ever since then. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're trying to live right. You know, well, 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 well living right won't make, is good, but it won't make you a Christian, won't take you to heaven. Being born again will, though, see? And, and you see, it becomes religion, and it isn't Christianity. But Christianity is, is being born again. Christianity is receiving the gift of eternal life. And you see, when eternal life, which is the nature and the life of God, is imparted to your spirit, it changes you. It changes you. Hallelujah. It changes you. This life of God 
coming into you, the real you, this inward man, makes that inward man, the real you, a new man. Doesn't it? A new man. You don't have to make yourself, you never could make yourself a new man anyhow. Isn't that right? But this makes you a new man with a new nature. Hallelujah. You got a new nature in you. Because he went right on to say that old things are passed away. And he said, all things become new. Now you'll have trouble with the flesh. But you won't have trouble with you. Did you hear that? You know, again, again, some things we've said is really misleading unless we really teach the truth. You know, people talk about, well, you've got to, you've got to die out to old self. No, you don't. Old self's dead, you got a new self in the place of him. What you need to do is die out to the flesh. Well, isn't the flesh the old self? No, it isn't. Because your flesh is the same body and the same flesh it was before you were saved, the same one. But that man on the inside, which was the old you and the old self, has become a new self and a new man in Christ. Is that right? A new creature. Is that right? Amen. Can't you see that? And so you see then, this, this man on the inside has become a new man. A new man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when he does, then old things passed away. And all things have become new. And he's a new creature in Christ Jesus. Well, the body's not new. Thank God, as we said, at the coming of the Lord, we will have a new body. But, he expects this new man... This hidden man of the heart, this inward man that has become a new man in Christ, he expects you now to do something with the body. He expects you not to let the body dominate you and you to be, as he said, concerning the Corinthians, carnal, a carnal Christian or a body rule Christian, but to do like Paul said, I keep under my body, I do something with my body, I, I keep it under, I bring it into subjection to my spirit. I don't let my body rule my spirit or the inward man. I let the inward man rule the outward man. Isn't that what he's saying? Now here he said this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, as I said, modern, modern speech, we'd say you, you do what? Present your bodies. See, that's the house you're living in. You're the caretaker of that house, not God. But now you do something with your body. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I like another translation which said, which is your spiritual service. Now then, in, in the church world, we've got those that said, I've run on to them that said, well, it doesn't make any difference about the body or what the body does or how it sins anyhow, what it does. Said, this old body's never going to get to heaven anyhow, you know. <laughs> but you see, my brother, sister, it does make God some difference about what you do with your body. You see? He wants transfigured bodies. Amen. He wants transfigured bodies. Does make God some difference. Does make God some difference. Then notice in the second verse now that he says something about doing something with your mind. 
He said, and be not conformed to this world, and, and, and here we'll get over into the soul of men now. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now this is what astounded me. I've said it to you before, but it's necessary in this lesson now that we say it again. This astounded me when I realized something here. And I'm sorry to say, I'd preached for uh, oh, 15 years before I saw this. Maybe a little longer. I don't know much yet. But thank God what I have learned. But, but it astounded me one day when it dawned on me when he said that he was writing here to people that were born again and spirit-filled. And yet, they're being born again and they're being spirit-filled had not affected their bodies or their minds. Are you listening to him? How many people do you know that's like that? He's telling them that you're going to have to do something with your body and you're going to have to do something with your mind. God's not going to do anything with those. You see, God contacted your spirit. You contacted God with your spirit. And your spirit, the inward man, the hidden man of the heart, became a new man in Christ. And now then it's up to you to do something. And he's telling them that they need to do this. That they need first to present their bodies to God a living sacrifice and then second they need to get their minds renewed with the word of God. That's one of the greatest needs of the church today is to have a renewed mind. Amen. Just because you're a Christian even filled with the spirit doesn't give you a renewed mind. Your mind becomes renewed with the word of God. That's one reason God put teachers in the church to teach. I mean those who are really called to teach is to renew our minds and I dare say in some ways our minds have been renewed in these seminars here, haven't they? Amen. Amen. Now then, we know this then. That man is a spirit. We know that he's in the same class with God because God is a spirit and because he was made to fellowship with God. God made man for his own pleasure and so that he'd have someone to fellowship with. Man's not an animal. Man has to be in the same class with God or he couldn't fellowship with God. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Did you ever try to fellowship with an old cow? <laughs> well, they're in a different kingdom than what you're in. They're in a different class than what you're in. You can't fellowship with them. But we can fellowship with one another and we can fellowship with God because we're in the same class of being as God. Praise the Lord. Now then, we know this. That God is a spirit for Jesus said God is a spirit to the woman at the well of Samaria in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. When she said, the Jews say you have to worship God in Jerusalem and our forefathers worship God in this mountain. Now what do you say about it? Jesus said the time has come and now is. Uh, he said God is a spirit and the time has come and now is that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we know that God is a spirit. And yet God who is a spirit took upon himself a man's body. For Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. For the first chapter of John's gospel said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in the 14th verse he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know this, that God is a spirit, and God who is a spirit took upon himself a human body. And when he did, he was no less God than he was when he didn't have the body. And yet, we know this, that man at physical death leaves his body. And when he leaves his body, he's no less man than he was when he had his body. story of Abraham and, and, and Lazarus proves that, and, and the rich man. And then here Paul said, For we know that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And he said, we're confident, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so then, we know this, that God is only revealed to man through the Spirit. Now when I say through the Spirit, I'm talking about the Spirit of man, through his Spirit. It is the Spirit of man that contacts God. We call it the heart. The heart is the Spirit. We know that spiritual things are just as real as material things are. Hallelujah. They have to be because God, who is a spirit, created all the material things. We know that this inward man and this hidden man of the heart that Peter and Paul talks about is God's definition of the human spirit. The real man is spirit. He has a soul. He lives in a body. Now I don't know about you. But here's a subject. And I wouldn't have you to believe at all. That I know too much on it. I know a little bit. But I don't know near as much as I expect to know. I mean do you know everything at all. That you ever expect to know. God help us if we think we've come to the place that, that we know all we'll ever know. Wouldn't that be pitiful if you'd never know any more than you know? It'd be awful if anybody die as ignorant as you are. <laughs> Amen. Well, you see, I'm in the same boat. But thank God we are in the process of learning, aren't we? Well, now, I don't know about you. I, I don't know. There's some things that have always intrigued me that seem like others haven't been interested in. I mean, even in preachers and Christians. I think a lot has to do with the way you get started off in your Christian walk in life, maybe. But I've given you my testimony. When I was born again, you see, I was saved after. Now, I'd heard salvation preached all my life, but I'd never really been saved. Just joined the church without re really receiving Christ, you see. And tried to do good and tried to be better. And, and even read the Bible and went to Sunday school and, and went to church and even prayed and and, and uh, every day, every night I prayed and, and gave what little meager money I had. I, I'd give in the offering, you see, because I thought a fellow's saved, you ought to give, you know. And so I'd give and, and really never knew him, never had been born again, never had become a new creature. But on the 22nd day of April, as I said to you, my heart stopped beating in my bosom and, and I left my body. I leaped out of my body like a man would leap off of a diving board into the swimming pool. And I began to descend. Down, down, down down, down, until darkness encompassed me around about. It is so dark that uh, you couldn't have seen your hand if there's one each in front of your nose. Darkness, it seemed to be so dense if you'd had a knife you could just cut a chunk of it out. The further down I went, the hotter it became. The more stifling it became until I kept going down in this pit until I could see 
way down beneath me, fingers of light playing on the wall of darkness. And I came to the bottom of that pit and I came to what I call the entrance of the gate to hell itself. To me, that's just as real. That happened That happened the 22nd day of April, 1933, at 7.30 o'clock in the south bedroom of 405 North College Street in the city of McKinney, Texas. 35 years ago, this past April, and yet that's just as real to me right now as I talk to you about it as though it happened last Saturday night. Spiritual things never grow old. That's the reason you as a spirit never grow old. Hallelujah. But, I, uh, I'll, I, it'll be necessary to say this part of it. When I came to this entrance into hell, all the time I was going down, not straight down like I did through the pit, but when I got to the bottom of the pit, there's still an incline going down. And I came, it seemed to me like there was, the, the, I call it the portals into hell itself, the entrance, like, like a large, uh, actually two large gates. And they opened up for me. They opened in. Instead of opening out this way, they opened in. And as I, as I saw this out in front of me and saw a great giant orange orb of flame with a white crest I, I, and felt the heat beating in the face, I, I didn't want to go. So I slowed down my descent. I didn't stop. I never did stop, but I just slowed down my progress, see. And I intended to put up a fight if I could to keep them going in. Now, I knew this when I came to the bottom of that pit that there's some kind of a creature met me. I never did look at him. But I knew he was right by my side. He's about as tall as I was. And, and he met me, and, and I didn't know it in his years afterwards before I ever knew it. But I found in the Bible years afterwards where the Bible said, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. See, the Bible said they'll meet you when you go down there. I don't know what kind of being that was, what kind of a creature it was, but it's some kind of a spirit being met me. I never did turn and look at him, though I knew he was right by my side. Though, See, I'm looking right here, and I know that chair is right there, right by my side. But I knew he was there. You see, the reason I didn't look at him, because my gaze was riveted, and I was getting closer all the time, though I'd slowed my descent down. I was getting closer in, to enter through these gates that had opened up, and I knew once I went through those gates, I was gone forever. Once the gates of hell had clanged to on my soul, I knew that was it. And so when I paused, when I got just about to the gate, I paused momentarily. When I did, he laid his hand on my right arm to escort me in. And when he did, there was a voice that spoke. I do not know what the voice said. I heard it, but it was not English. It was a foreign tongue. I don't know how many words it said. It sounded to me like it said, must, must have said about a half a dozen, maybe, a, maybe eight or ten words. Of course, foreign words sometimes can be more than one, you know, because it's, we're not accustomed to hearing them. But this voice sounded like the voice of a man, and it just boomed out and, and echoed through that place, you know, like he was in a cavern. What he said, I don't know, but whatever he said, thank God got the job done. <laughs> because when he spoke that whole it echoed through that place and that whole place just shook and that creature took his hand off my arm and there was something like a suction to my back just like a pull you see a suction pulled me back I didn't walk backwards I just floated backwards pulled me back away from the gate of hell back into the the shadow of darkness and then when I got back there then it pulled me up and I came up out of that pit 
and I could feel the cool breezes of the earth before I got up out of the pit like he was coming up out of a well. And I came up on the porch outside my room and I knew I was on that porch. I could see the trees in the yard. I know nobody else could have seen me there because this was this inward man, this hidden man, and you can't see him with the physical eye. But that inward man, that hidden man, is just as real a man as the outward man. And I knew I was on that porch. As I said, I saw the porch swing right there. I was right by it. I saw the trees in the yard. And I went right through the wall. Somebody said, how'd you do that? Well, it wasn't this physical body. It was this spirit man on the inside. And I went right through the wall into that bedroom, and I, it seemed to me like I just jumped inside my body through my mouth. When I got back inside my body, then I could talk to my grandma, and I said, Granny, I I'm dying. She said, I know it, son. I thought you was gone. I said, I'm going again. I can't tell you how I knew I was going again, but I said, I'm, I'm going again. She said, uh, son, I, I, I thought you wasn't coming back that time. I thought you was dead. I thought you was gone. She held me in her arms. Now, I said all that to you, and I'm not going to say any more about it. Most of you heard my testimony, but it's necessary to repeat enough of it to get this over to you. When I was outside my body, I was no less man than I was when I was inside my body. I know everything I know now. I was just, to me, to me, I was just as real as I am now. To me, I had the same shape. I had the same form. I had the same size. Now, that has to be right. And to me, because of that experience, then I've always been greatly interested, you see, in the outward man, the inward man, what happens to the man when he dies. I knew I was there, you see. I've studied the Bible from this standpoint, more so for these last 35 years, more than I have uh, from other standpoints, you see, and sought desperately to know the difference between the body, the spirit, and the soul. Well, it's easy enough to distinguish the difference between the, the body and the rest of it, but it's difficult sometimes to divide between spirit and soul, isn't it? Now then, Nothing but the Bible can do that. But now, I knew this much. I, I will not accept any kind of experience or any kind of happening if it can't be proven in line with the Word. But, but I got to say, that happened to me three times I went down there. And the third time I came out, I came out of praying. And I was born again at 20 minutes to 8 o'clock on Saturday night in the south bedroom, 405 North College Street in the city of McKinney, Texas. Praise God. And I became a new man in Christ Jesus. And the old things passed away. And all things became new. And did anybody have to try to tell me, now son, you're going to have to live right now. You've got to be a Christian. As I said, I've never tried to live right. Never have given up anything. Praise the Lord. I feel sorry for these poor folks trying to give up something. <laughs> no, sir. I knew I was a new man in Christ. And that became one of my favorite scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I found it on the bed of affliction. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And when I came off the bed of affliction, I told everybody I met I'm a new creature. They said, what do you mean you're a new creature? And that left the gate open for me to preach to them. <laughs> oh, brother. Praise the Lord. And the young people said, why don't you dance with us? I said, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. Praise the Lord. Didn't anybody tell me not to dance? You know, they even had dances in the church. I was a member of them. That's who these young people were. Talking to me was folks that's going to church dance. And said, you don't go with us, though I was their Sunday school teacher. You don't go to our own church parties and socials. Why don't you? I said, because I'm a new creature. <laughs> oh, glory to God. See, they went to church socials and church parties and drank beer and drank whiskey. And some of the girls would get drunk as well as the boys. And dance. And they said, why don't you go? I said, because I'm a new creature. 
They said, we feel so sorry for you. I said, why? I said, you don't ever have a good time. You don't drink. You don't smoke. I was Baptist. I wasn't full gospel. <laughs> you don't go to picture shows. You don't have a good time. We feel so sorry for you. Why don't you do these things? I said, I'm a new creature. <laughs> I don't have any. I mean, nobody told me it's wrong, and uh, that's you on that, but I was just made a new creature, and when I became a new creature, well, those things left me. I didn't give anything up. Praise the Lord. I've just been different ever since then. I said, I just feel sorry for you folks. Don't you waste your time feeling sorry for me. I've tasted of everything you are tasted and what you are doing. And I've tasted of him. And I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. And I'll tell you, you talk, don't anybody sympathize with me. I don't need your sympathy. You just, you just spend it on you. And that's what I told them just as a boy, just as a boy, just as a teenager, just 17 years old. No, sir, I'm having the greatest time of my life right back there then, and I am now. Praise the Lord. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, now you can let that body continue to dominate you if you want to, and that body, you see, if you let it, will go on wanting to do the things it's always done, see? But this inward man has got to dominate him, present the body to God, a living sacrifice. Can you see that now? Amen. Amen. Well, that helps us then in Christian living, Christian life, doesn't it? Now then, here's what I, I desired to do. I, uh, I, I could find very easily from studying the Bible, actually, I, I did this. I, I, I endeavored to get the, the books that were taught in, in different Bible schools and institutes of learning, theologically speaking, on man and, and, and study. And, and for years I did that. I, I got the books that they taught in the full gospel Bible school at CBI. In, in, in Springfield and, and in LIFE, Fourth Square School in Los Angeles, and, and what they taught in uh, Southwestern Fort Worth. And, and uh, on the subject of man, who man is, what man is. And of course, I knew what the Baptists taught. I had their books. I got the books from Moody Bible Institute on that subject in their teaching, see. And none of them ever satisfied me. All of them were based on the teachings of somebody else other than the Bible. And then I taught. I talked to the most able Bible teachers in full gospel circles among us. And, and, and I was surprised. I mean, those who had an earned doctorate, I don't mean just uh, something that was conferred upon them, but I mean they'd gone to school and studied until they were doctor so-and-so had an earned doctorate. And I thought, surely he's a doctor. Now, he, he, he's educated and, and he'll know. And when I talked to them, I was surprised how little they knew. <laughs> And then I talked to some of them and, and they looked at me. I could name some of them. I won't name them because some of you folks would know them and that wouldn't be right. Destructive criticism is wrong, see? And I mean this to be constructive criticism, not destructive. And, and I was surprised at some that said to me, some very outstanding men, uh, teachers and, and professors, and, and just looked at me sort of in bewilderment and said, well, well, but things that I, I always just thought the spirit and soul was the same. I, I always preach it that way. Well, I said, it couldn't be. I couldn't be. Spirit and soul couldn't be the same. Because I said, I said the Bible said there, you know, don't you know, in, in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And, well, what is it, 12th verse, somewhere along? I don't know, just, I believe it is. said, uh, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder of spirit and soul. If they could be divided, they wouldn't be the same, would they? I say, would they? And then, uh, uh, then I read here where he said, 
I pray God your whole spirit, and I gave these verses to these professors and ministers and teachers. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved by me. Well, I said if you can divide the spirit and soul, it couldn't be the same. And then if you, uh, if you say the spirit and the soul is the same, he said, I pray God your spirit and soul and body be preserved by me. If the spirit and the soul is the same, be just a scripture, say the soul and the body is the same. See? Wouldn't it? And they said to me, well, that's right. That's right. I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And that's true. That's true. So I said this. I, I'll tell you how I arrived. After a long period of time. After years. In trying to divide up spirit, soul, and body. Or man. The three parts of man. I, I knew this. Went without argument. Nobody will dispute this. That the physical body, with the physical body, we contact the physical world. No one will dispute that, will they? So then the body contacts the physical realm. Then I knew this as I studied that it's the spirit of man that contacts God for God is a spirit. And only a spirit could contact a spirit. And I knew that the new birth is a rebirth of the human spirit. For I read where Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, being natural, could only think naturally. And so he said, well, is it possible for a man when he's old into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And then I started in right there, and, and I decided I'd come, come through the New Testament this way, you know, on through it. Just seeing what he said about, uh, Paul said about then, after Jesus said, it's your spirit that's born again, and if you're born again, you're born of the spirit. Then I noticed that Paul made this kind of a statement over here in Romans, the second chapter, and the 29th verse, he says, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Now, you might think by me telling you this that I just got on top of this all just a few months, but it didn't. It was years. It was, I was years getting this. But it finally got through to me. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. 28th verse, he said, For he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. I notice that this, that word spirit there doesn't have a capital S on it, little s referring to the human spirit. And not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. So you see he's saying there, Paul's saying that here actually he's saying that your spirit is your heart. And then I notice that he said here, and we brought this out in our prayer lesson, he said this in 1 Corinthians the 14th chapter and the 14th verse, Paul said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, my spirit spirit prayeth. The Amplified Translation said, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prayeth. Now, Paul said, if I pray with tongues, my spirit prayeth. Now, wait a minute. Skip right down to the 18th verse. That's the 14th verse. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Now, look at verse 18. What does it say? Somebody, I can quote it. You know it can. But somebody read it for me. Just be sure we get it right. King James translation, please. Some of you have 
Amplified or something else. Somebody read that. It says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. I thank my God. Who's thanking God? I am. What for? I speak with tongues more than ye all. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. I speak with tongues. Hallelujah. I mean, that's plain enough, isn't it? I mean, that's plain enough, isn't it, that the Spirit's I, or Paul's saying, my Spirit uh, is I. It's I. Whoa, glory. Hallelujah. I mean, I mean, we, we, we Spirit-filled people ought to be able to locate the Spirit's all right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then, then, then I noticed this, uh, and this blessed me. Over here in the book of Hebrews, here in the book of Hebrews, in the 12th chapter, here, here's some marvelous scripture that ought to help any of us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here Paul is talking about, uh, of course, to the Hebrew Christians. First of all, the 18th verse, he's talking to them as Jews, you see, in the mount where the, where the law was given to Moses. And he says, for we, this is the 18th verse of the 12th chapter of Hebrews, for we are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire, not unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But thank God that's not where, what we've come to. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Hallelujah. 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 Now, I'm, why am I saying all this to you? I'm saying all this to you for the simple reason that I don't want you to think of yourself anymore as being a physical being. I want you to think of yourself as being a spirit being Amen. and of having a soul and of living in a body. So then, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit pray, but my understanding is unfruitful. I knew this, that with the physical, with the body, we contact the physical realm. That goes without argument. I know this. I found out this, that with the spirit, we contact the spiritual realm. Well, then, in being, being able to differentiate between your soul and your spirit, then to me it was very easy to locate the last one because there's only one other realm or one other world that man lives in, and that's the mental realm. So with the soul, we contact the intellectual realm. With the spirit, our spirit, we contact the spiritual realm. And with the body, we contact the physical realm. Now, that's the simplest way to put it. We could say it differently, but, but I, I try my best to say it as simply and as plain as I can. And I believe that's the simplest way to put it. Now then, 
let me say this in conclusion because we're, we're just taking our time. We're going to lay a foundation here to really work off of. I've said this to you before. I've seen folks up in the uh, redwoods of North, Northern California when they'd fall those great trees. I went out there. I was holding a meeting way up there at, at uh, Crescent City. And uh, uh, they took me out, you know. And they, they, they'd cut out to get up to them sometimes. They'd cut out some pretty good-sized trees. I mean, uh, that, it's bigger than, a lot, than most of the trees we have down this part of the country. <laughs> Just clearing out to get up there to them, you know. And then they'd cut a path out to lay that thing down in, you see. And those trees, you know, go hundreds and hundreds of feet into the air. And they'd clear this, cut this down. See, this, this bed like to lay it in. Cut all the trees out and all the brush out. Cut everything out of the way. And then they'd just, just fall that tree and lay it right down in there. I mean, expert fella, he, he, he saw that thing and, and, and chop it off just right. And, you know, nick it just right. And that thing would fall right, right there where he had. And so what I've been doing is just get, getting all this underbrush and these little old shrubs out of the way here. Get up to the tree and you know and I'm going to cut it down tomorrow night now. Amen. Can you see my illustration? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the spirit of man that receives eternal life. Hallelujah. We'll have a new body one day, but we've got the new life now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've got the new life now. I'm come, Jesus said, that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And then again, after we receive eternal life, we can receive the Holy Spirit. Oh yes, we have the witness of the Spirit in our heart that we're children of God, but that's not called receiving the Holy Spirit. That re that's called receiving eternal life. See, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Holy Spirit is the agency that imparts eternal life to us through the Word, see. And, and, and through the word convicts us and leads us to Christ. But that's not called receiving the Holy Spirit. That's receiving eternal life, which is the nature and the life of God that changes our spirits and makes us a new creature with a new life in us. But then, thank God, we can receive the Holy Ghost afterwards. Yes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost comes to dwell in our heads? No, no. Actually, if you really get the Holy Ghost easier if you didn't have a head. <laughs> But, you know, you know, you know, that's what gets in our way most of the time is this, you know. Isn't that about right? <laughs> Amen. Your head's been used to using your tongue so much to don't want to yield that tongue to the Holy Spirit. That's reading people struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. The Holy Ghost comes to dwell in our heads? No. Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our spirits. The only reason the world that our bodies become a temple of the Holy Ghost is because our body is the temple of the house of our own spirits. And in that sense, he's dwelling in our bodies because greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. But he's, he's not dwelling in our bodies just as a body. He's dwelling in our spirits. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Wigglesworth said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. <laughs> Thank God I am. You are too, if you just knew it. And you can get bigger than what you are. Amen. Look like too many of us trying to get big on the outside. <laughs> huh? I'm not looking at you. That's just your own conscience. That's just your own, that's just your own guilty conscience condemning <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know, he gave himself away, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, glory anyhow. 
Somebody said, well, I just don't believe people ought to go to church and act that way. <laughs> well, that's all right, act that way. Did you ever read the Bible where the Bible said, talking about Israel, God said uh, when, they, when he turned their captivity, then shall their mouth be filled with laughter. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's turned our captivity, our mouth's filled with laughter. Hallelujah. Some people think you ought to go to church, you know, and just sit there stiff, sort of like he's at a funeral, you know. Sort of like you had a poker, you know, for a backbone. And just, you know, just be, look sour, you know. You know, the Word of God never said the word in the world about the saints being pickled. It said they're preserved. <laughs> Praise God. Did you know that? Never said a word in the world about them being pickled. It said they're preserved. Hallelujah. Woo, glory. Aren't you glad for that? Well, let's stand here before I get started. <laughs> Amen. Don't know about you, but I'm sure glad it came tonight. Well, thank God for His Word. Can you say thank God for His Word? Can you say thank God for His Word? I want everybody to shut your eyes. Every believer, say this out loud. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. God is my Father. It is written. He is the Father of spirits. He is my Father. I am His child. He is my very own Father. I am His very own child. For I have been born again. I am born of God. I am a child of God. God is my Father. God is a Spirit. I am a Spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. Thank you, Father, for your word. Hallelujah. 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 Well, as you're dismissed, turn and shake hands with your neighbor and say, Thank God for the word, and you can go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1 888 283 2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.